going to invite you to turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew. Our Christmas theme has been Christ's mess. Um, it's kind of a play on the word Christmas, but what we've been doing is we've been looking at the lives of individual people. We looked at the genealogy and we looked at the, the mess that Jesus' genealogy was. And included in our themes have also been stories. We've been trying to articulate to you some of the stories of some of our people. You know, you, you don't know the person next to you or sitting behind you or in front of you. You don't know who they are. You don't know their story. You know, every one of us in this room has a story about what God has done and how he's radically changed our life. And it's good to hear those stories because God ultimately is the one who's glorified and honored as we hear and see those stories told once again. We're grateful to Peggy and uh, for being able to share the messiness of her life, the messiness of her family, messiness of a of a husband who passed away. This morning I want to share another uh, a story. It's a friend of ours. Um, Andrew's been around uh, Hope uh, for, he's been associated with Hope for somehow, some way for 20 years, but he kind of took a detour and most recently has come back. And what I want to do is I want to give him the opportunity to just share um, his story. His life was a mess for 20 years. And in the midst of that, God came back and grabbed a hold of him and radically changed his life. So, this is Andrew's story as we begin this morning, the messiness of life. I grew up over by the airport in St. John area, kind of close to Hope. Had a loving family growing up. Um, the area I did live in at the time was the St. John, St. Anne area, and it was preferably a good area. As, you know, the 90s progressed into, you know, 95, 96, 97, things kind of went downhill a little bit influences started to come around. Um, I played football. Those influences were to perform better, to be better on the field. And I didn't really fit in with, you know, the people I went to school with or the friends that I had at church. And I didn't really feel at home, you know, as I was growing up because I didn't really feel the God connection. I just knew of God and I knew that, you know, he was he brought us to this earth and, you know, I heard everything I heard every day in the sermon and that's all I believed in. I didn't really fully surrender to him and I didn't know how to surrender to him. And um, to those influences, when I did get on the field, that's what made me feel better. And, you know, I, I from what I was told, I played very well. I thought I played very well. Scouts were looking at it, you know, a lot of people, especially the people that were on the offensive side of it. I got to my senior year and that's when I still didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. And I was introduced to uh, opioids and um, other you know, performance enhancing drugs that made me feel that I could not only perform better on the field, but also in everyday life. It made me feel more comfortable being around other people. I could open up to people and I didn't have to shelter inside because I was hiding, you know, all the things that were keeping me away from everyday life and performing the way I should be performing. And I felt it was a replacement for God in, in a sense because I didn't feel like I needed to ask him for help anymore. And that's where I felt like I was being pulled away from God. And eventually I stopped showing up to hope and I felt the drugs and alcohol and the influence is what pretty much pulled me away from it. 
As, as the years go by, I graduated from just using pills and performance-enhancing drugs uh, to graduating to heroin. And that's when my whole life just turned upside down. Um, at first, it was, it was wonderful in my eyes because that's all I felt was, was okay and it was taking away the pain that was hiding inside of me. But eventually, life caught up with me again and I was in front of a judge. And the judge gave me an ultimatum. He says, if I see you here again, I will give you the same sentence I would give someone on his third strike. Because I don't want to see someone your age, and he says, I'm tired of putting people away your age that are using this drug. A couple of DUIs, crash car, and he's standing for a judge. The judge says, I don't want to see you in here again. It's not easy to share your story like that. He and I have had an opportunity to visit and to talk and to reflect on this. I know there's a lot of shame associated with this, but this is the reality. That's the prodigal son. That's leaving the 99 to go after the one. That's an, that's an example of walking away from your faith for 20 years and then God in his grace beats you over the head and finally says, you're my child, you're my son, come back reorient your life. You've made a mess of your life. And what I have the opportunity to do is to rebuild your life. What Andrew had to do is he had to shift his priorities. He got lost in high school for 20 years. He told me that. He said, Clint, I've, I was lost for 20 years. I don't even know what's happened over a period of 20 years. And the prodigal son has come back. And God in his goodness and God in his grace is now reshaping his life and directing him, his plans and his priorities in a different way. You know, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know the difficulties and challenges of life. But God has a way of grabbing hold of us and getting our attention to redirect us to him because of his goodness and because of his grace. And what I want to see this morning is this, that in the, in the messiness of life, we come to Joseph. You know, we looked at what Mary's mess that she was in because of this birth of the child that she's going to have. And, and Joseph, he's going to encounter the same thing. And, it, and it plans and priorities. I mean, his life is going to be a mess because he's going to find out that the woman he's betrothed to is pregnant. And he's in a dilemma. He's, he's just confused. He doesn't know what to do. And God, because of his goodness and grace, is going to redirect him. And we have an opportunity to learn from him this morning from the life of Joseph. What's interesting about the life of Joseph is this. We don't know a lot about him. Does anybody have questions about Joseph? I do. I mean, we know about him in the birth narratives, but we don't really know a lot about him. We don't hear a lot about him. You know, we hear a lot about Mary. You know, we know the songs. What child is this who's laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Where's Joseph? I guess he's out getting diapers in the baby formula. I don't know. He's just gone. For Christ was born of Mary. And the ever-popular Mary, did you know? Joseph, would you know? We don't know, because there's no songs about it. He just, just kind of disappears from the Christmas story, from the beginning of the story. And what's interesting is he's in the Christmas story for us. It's like God is bringing him to the forefront in his character and, and who he is as a person and to remind us of the kind of people that God calls and uses, even in the messiness of life. Mary is a humble, righteous woman, and God redirects her life. Zachariah and Elizabeth, godly, righteous people, and God intervenes in their life in, in a way that redirects them. Just because we love Jesus 
and we may be living that kind of righteous life. That doesn't mean we're guaranteed that everything's going to go the way that we want it. Sometimes God intervenes in our lives in ways that we don't think or imagine to cause us to be able to question, will we continue to follow him? So let me just simply read the text. Hear the word of the Lord, if you, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew is very clear what he wants to do. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. You want to know how? I'm going to tell you how. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin, will be with child and will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Father, with our Bibles open and our hearts open, God, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears, that we would see wonderful things from your law, from your word, Lord. Father, the Spirit of God and the Word of God is much more powerful than I am. And Father, I just ask that you, through your Word, through your Spirit, would speak and reveal to each person today, specifically, who you are and what you've done. And Father, that you would encourage them and you would encourage us. Father, that we would leave here rejoicing because we know Jesus and that he is with us. And no matter what we're going through, we can trust him. Father, thank you for your goodness of your Word. Father, thank you for your faithful people and all God's people said. So immediately after the greeting in Matthew chapter 1, we know that what Matthew is doing is he's giving us an understanding of who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. Verse 1 says he's the Messiah, he's the son of Abraham, and he's the son of David. We've looked at that. And, and what Matthew wants to do is he wants to tell us how the human life of Jesus began. Everybody's questioning about that. Everybody has questions about that, and he's just simply going to tell us. He's not going to go into elaborate detail. I know that there's some things that we would like to know, but he doesn't do that. It just gives it straightforward. And so this is the way it's going to break down. All right, I like to give you ahead of time where we're going to go. So this is where we're going to go. For those of you who just like, like where we're going, outline. There's going to be a dilemma. We're going to see that in there. Joseph's going to have to make a decision. There's a dilemma in his life. He's going to have a dream. We're going to see that, the dream. And then he's going to uh, go on a detour. The, the author, Matthew, he's going, to, he's going to take us on a detour to the Old Testament. And then after all of that comes together... Joseph had a decision to make. What are you going to do? So that's kind of where we're going to go this morning. Those four, and then we'll have an outline. And by the way, we're going to have a little bit more of a, uh, a recap, if you will, from Andrew before we leave. So, so let's begin uh, with Joseph's dilemma. I want you to imagine with me. I, I want you to just imagine with me. I'm, I'm going to put you in Joseph's place this morning, right? Ladies, I realize you're, 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 you're ladies and you're not a man, but just go with me on this. Just have a little fun. Let's imagine that you're a young man. And uh, I would imagine that um, you're growing up in a family, and according to the Jewish customs, what you would do is you would, you would get to know each other. You'd live in a community, you'd live in Nazareth. And, and maybe there's a family member, your mom, as you're growing up, you're a young man, and she keeps pointing this 
did you see Mary today? Oh, she just looks so good. Oh, by the way, I saw, I saw Mary in the village today. She's just a sweet little girl. And you're a guy, you know, I don't care anything about what's going on here. And, and when we look at this and we consider this, listen, ladies, and, and you all are not that far from this. If you've grown up in a church and your son, daughter starts getting to the age where they're looking at other people to date, don't you and aren't you purposely pointing out people? Oh, yeah, what about that person over there? Don't we? Of course we do that because we're smart. We have a broader perspective. And what we want to do is we want to guide them in a gentle way. And I think that could be exactly what happens here. Mom is always pointing out this little girl by the name of Mary. And you don't want to have anything to do with it. And all of a sudden, you get older, a little bit older. And then one, one day, you're, you're out in the village, and you look around, and you're like, wow. All of a sudden, Mary changes. She looks very, very beautiful. And not only is she externally beautiful, but her character reflects her inner beauty on the inside. And you begin to know her, and you begin to, if you'll, watch after her. And in a period of time, the families get together, and the families get together along with you. And then when you decide, what we're going to do is we're going to commit ourselves to each other. We're going to be pledged to each other. That's what verse 18 talks about. We're going to be betrothed to each other. We're going to be pledged to each other. Betrothed has this idea, pledged has this idea of, of wooing. You know, maybe over a period of time, what Joseph did, he's actually beginning to woo her heart, if you will, taking care of her going after in such a way so that they would get to this place where they are pledged to be married together. And then all the families get together, and they say, yeah, this is a good thing. In the little town of Nazareth, it's not a big town. All the families get together, and they write out the documents, the bride uh, price, and, and all of those things come together. And, and they begin to say, okay, what we are going to do is we're going to enter into this formal marriage contract. We're going to be pledged to each other. And then they would live to, uh, apart um, for a, approximately a year. She would live with her family. He would live with her family. He would live with his family. And what they would do is they would wait for this betrothal for, for a period of a year. And that's kind of the way that it would happen. Let me ask you something. Does that describe anything remotely what you or maybe a family member went through? Of course not. That's kind of foreign to each of us. When one of my, we, have, we have three daughters. When one of my son-in-laws came and asked if they could uh, marry one of our daughters, I said, listen, I love you. I love uh, my daughter. We love the fact that you're going to get together, but I want to tell you something. There is no warranty with this, all right? There's no trading in. Once you drive off the lot, that's it. It's over with. <laughs> and you're not going to come back a week or two later going, uh, you know, she's got a broken wheel. Listen, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's all you. I'm taking this seriously. And that's how serious they took it back then. When they entered in this year-long pledge, this year-long betrothal period, you notice what the text said? It called him husband. They weren't together. They were living apart. But they still referred to Joseph as their husband. Why? Because they were committed to each other. And the only way that they could break the separation is through a certificate of divorce. And that's what's exactly going on here with the two of them. And they enter in this wonderful, wonderful relationship where they're living together and they're growing together. Verse 19 says, Joseph is her husband. They referred to as husband and wife because they were coming together as a family, as two families coming together, still living apart, but the families were coming together and to celebrate all of these wonderful things. This is a time, this year-long process, is a time of being together and the families to grow together. Imagine your excitement as you get closer and closer to the date. And maybe, maybe Mary disappears for three months. 
and she comes back, and man, you're, you're just jazzed to see her. Your heart has grown to her, and, and you realize you're going to get married in just a few months, and you're going to live together, and you're going to have a family, you're going to have all of this stuff. And then one night she pulls you outside and says, Joseph, I need to tell you something. I'm pregnant. I'm going to have a baby. Imagine what you, Joseph, would feel like if someone came to you, the one that you loved, the one that you cared about, how would you feel? Shock, hurt, embarrassed, betrayed? Your whole world would come crashing down upon you. Some of you have experienced this level of betrayal deep down inside of your heart. That's what happened to Joseph. In his mind, the woman that he was pledged to be married to was going to have another man's baby. Life can get messy really, really quickly. And that's what happened in the life of Joseph. And what did he do? He faced a dilemma. He faced a dilemma. Look at verse 19. And I want you to notice how Joseph is described. He's described in two phrases in verse 19. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Talk about character. He's described as being righteous. And what does he want to do? He wants to protect her from public shame. When you go back in the Christmas story, how many times do you hear the word righteous? Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're righteous. They're God-fearing people. They're walking in all the commands of what God would have them to do. Mary, what is Mary describing? She's a woman who's highly favored. She's a woman of grace. So in the Christmas story, you have all of these people. God bringing all of these wonderful, highly favored people together, people chosen to follow him and walk in obedience to him. And what's interesting is this, that these, all of these righteous people, these God-fearing people, their lives are about to be radically changed. Reminds us that God sometimes brings people, circumstances into our lives to cause us to be redirected and to refocus and to look to him for absolute other dependence. Joseph's priority is a righteous man. We're, going to about to, we're about to be changed. He's going to have to make an adjustment in his life. Let me ask you something. What do righteous people do in a situation like this? If you're Joseph, what would you do? Well, according to Deuteronomy, she could be stoned, and that was something that they didn't normally do back then, but she could do that. They weren't going to do that, though. So the option is this. She's an adulteress. She's done something in violation. She's made a mistake, if you will. The option is basically divorce. Now, how are you going to divorce her? Are you going to publicly shame her, or are you going to do something privately? Let me ask you something. When you've been hurt, and you've been depraved, betrayed, how do you respond? Do you want a little bit of even with that person? This is, this is number 10 level of betrayal. This is huge. And don't we in our hearts, don't we want them to feel what we're feeling? Don't we want revenge? Don't we want something from another person? Yes, we do. And, and notice, notice his character. Here's a man whose wife, who he, he believed had committed adultery, and he's not seeking revenge. He's not seeking a way to hurt her. He's not seeking a way to destroy her. He's not seeking a way to publicly shame her. His heart is absolutely shattered and broken, and we are seeing the very righteous character of Joseph shine forth. And faced with this dilemma, he's not going to publicly shame her. Faced with this dilemma, what does he do? He's going to privately send her away, and that's what they decide to do. The families get together, and they draw up this private, if you will, divorce agreement. And that's where he finds himself. He's beat up. Life is just 
radically changed for him. And then he goes to sleep. And that's where we see Joseph's dream. Joseph was no doubt pretty worn out from the news he'd received from Mary, mentally, physically exhausted from the dilemma. You ever been there before? You ever been just so worn out that, man, you collapse in bed? I can imagine that's probably what's going on here. And while he slept, something strange happened. He had a dream. Do you dream? I, I can recall a dream that I had this morning. I woke up at 3 in the morning. I had a dream. I was on a golf course. It, it, and what's really strange is this. I want to know what the meaning of it is. Why am I in a golf course? And why are these weird things happening? Why am I dreaming about a golf course in the middle of winter? And, and I want to know the meaning. And you have dreams. Every one of us dream. So they're not that, that far unusual for you and I to have this. But what's interesting here is that dreams were not that unfamiliar to Jewish people. When you go back and look at the Old Testament, many, many times God, God got a person's attention. God redirected a person. God gave a message through a dream. Abimelech, remember, he was, he was out there. Abimelech was kept from touching Abraham's wife through a gene through a dream. Jacob, the covenant given to Abraham, the covenant was reconfirmed, if you will, to Jacob through a dream. Joseph, how many times did Joseph dream? He dreamt, but he was also given another dream about how his life was changed, about a fellow prisoner, Nebuchadnezzar. So this whole idea of dreams is not that far off for a Jewish person. Sometimes when God has important messages and that he wants to convey to you and I, he operates in the supernatural and he uses one of his angels. And in verses 20 and 22, we see his dream. Notice the angel said, don't be afraid. Wait a minute, don't be afraid. That's what he's told to Mary and to Zechariah. Listen, when your life's about to change, don't be afraid. You can trust God for who he is and what he's done. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid to take her home. Why? Because the child that's conceived of her is born of the Holy Spirit. This is going to be something absolutely supernatural. And what the dream did for Joseph, it only confirmed the message that had been given to Mary about who the child was, the identity of the child, the name of the child, and how the child would be conceived. And he was to name the child Jesus. God saves Jesus Salvation is from Jesus. And then he adds a little footnote, if you will. He tells us something a little bit more about the child. Verse 21, and this child will save his people from their sins. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because how did Jewish believers deal with sin? Through an animal sacrifice, right? You would take the animal to the priest to go to the sacrifice. And all of a sudden we have an, a new dimension of what sin is going to look like with the people because this Jesus is going to save people from their sins. So Joseph has this dilemma, what's to do? God comes to him in a dream. And then Matthew does something interesting. He does, boop, time out. Let's go into detour. I want to offer my explanation of what's going on here. I want to look back in the history. By the way, when you look at the Gospel of Matthew, over 50 times he goes back to the Old Testament. Our faith, our understanding of who Jesus is goes back to the Old Testament. Most people think it goes back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Over and over in the Old Testament, we're told about the promise that God has made, about the Messiah and who he is. And so what Matthew does is he takes us on a detour, and he takes us back to the prophet Isaiah. Notice what he says, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. What is Matthew doing? He's simply saying, listen, here's the explanation. 
This is absolute, total fulfillment of one of God's promises. And you can go back in the Old Testament and you can find all kinds of promises about God and about the Messiah. And this is ultimately about who the Messiah is. And you can go back to chapter 1, verse 1, about the Messiah being the son of Abraham and the son of David. Go back and follow the lineage, follow the genealogy, if you will. And what Matthew wants to know, wants us to know, and wants people to know, is this is how Joseph came to be the adopted father. He's not the biological father. He is the adopted father of Jesus. And what Matthew wants to know is this is about, this is about a virgin birth. This is about something that's unheard of. Why would, why would Matthew want to point this out to us? What's the significance of the virgin birth? Have you ever thought about it? Does it matter to you? I think it's relevant for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's this. This is miraculous. This is something that's going to be supernatural. If you go back and put this uh, passage on a sheet of paper, and you were to simply look at the supernatural elements to it, there's over eight supernatural elements about what God is doing in the life of Joseph and Mary with regard to Jesus. Eight supernatural elements. This is incredible. God is breaking into human history in an incredibly radical way. This is miraculous. Notice also it's this. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, about a child being born. This was prophesied hundreds of years before about a child who would come, and that's what we're seeing here. The prophecy is significant to the Jewish people because it was ultimately point to them who the Messiah was and who he is and how he would reign and what he would do. And notice what else it says. Notice what he's called, Emmanuel. God with us. You have the perfect coming together of the God-man and human fully God, fully human, coming together in a miraculous way, in a way that we don't fully understand, so that when we have, at this particular point in time, as Jesus begins to walk on this earth, you have God with us. And by the way, that's the same promise that you and I have been given. He's still with us, no matter what we're going through. And the last thing of, of why this is so important is this. Listen, if, if the Bible says there's a virgin birth, and there is no virgin birth, that throws out the whole veracity of the Bible. Why would you even believe it? If the Bible makes a statement it's not true, then we've got to throw out the whole thing. This has relevance for our life. And what you believe about it is important because it goes to the very character of who God is and what he would reveal to us. And so what Matthew does is he says, okay, I'm going to take you on a detour. I'm going to take you to chapter uh, 7, verse 14 in the book of Isaiah. And I'm going to show you how this was prophesied and this was promised from Isaiah. So Joseph, trying to figure out what's going on in life, faced this dilemma. What am I going to do with Mary? He has this dream. God redirects him. Matthew takes us back to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And what does Joseph do? Verses 24 and 25, you have Joseph's decision. Let me just read verse 24. Notice what it says, when Joseph woke up. You know, when I read that, I'm like, why did he, why did he put woke up in there? Why didn't he just say, then Joseph did what the angel had commanded. Why, why, why did he say he woke up? I think he's communicating something to us. That immediately Joseph walked in obedience to who God is and the changes that were going to happen in his life. When he woke up, he obeyed the angel's command. He took Mary home to be his wife and he did not have sexual relations with her. And he gave him, after the child was born, he gave this child the name 
Joseph. In other words, Joseph has no idea the plans and pride. He has no idea how his life is about to change. But he's saying, listen, I'm going to walk in obedience to what God has called me to do. And I'm going to walk in obedience so that God would be honored and God would be glorified in what I'm going to do. So let me ask you something. What does, that, what does that mean today? What does it mean to you today? What I'm going to do is this. I want to show you the last clip of Andrew and allow him the opportunity to share maybe some things that God was doing in his life. And then I want to come back and I want to offer just a couple of points of application directly from this text. So through all those mistakes in my life, the, the hurts, the hang-ups, everything, the, the bad experiences, the negative, even the good experiences, I believe God has really shaped my life into helping others. Everything that I was getting, the desires, the wants that, you know, that the drugs were giving me is what life is actually giving me now through others. Showing, showing even, you know, someone who thinks that they're, they don't have it in this world, that they, want, they feel like giving up, that I feel like it's, it's, that's what God put me here for. This is the path that he's put me on. God in my life has kept me clean. You know, it, w- without God, I'm nothing. From the time I start my day, I'm on my knees immediately. I don't care if I, I need start the coffee, if I need to use the bathroom. I am on my knees immediately, and I am praying, and I am thankful for where he has brought me today. And then it's constant devotion, constant prayer, and I, I'll, I'll pray to him as I'm driving along. It doesn't matter. I don't care where I am. I am praying. And, it, and, it, and it, does, it doesn't have to be an Our Father or anything like that. I will talk to him like I'm talking to someone else. And that's what keeps me going every single day, is knowing that he is there listening. Even though we have all these other problems in the world, he is still guiding me in the right direction. I asked him one time when we were meeting together, I said, okay, what, what kept you clean? He said this, he said, it was to get to midnight. I wanted to get to midnight because I knew if I got to midnight, that means I stayed sober for another day. And listen, he's been in and out of rehab a lot of times. And what I want you to see is this. This is an example of God's grace, God's goodness, God's grace. That's the God that we, that we love. That's the God that we serve. The Bible says this, that God is what he is. He's rich, rich in mercy because he loves us and because he cares for us. And that's the God that we come this morning to to honor and to glorify and to worship, the Jesus who came to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sin. I want to give you real briefly three quick applications, if you will. Number one, and it all flows from this idea that um, the child's name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Number one is this, God comes to us. God came to Zachariah and Elizabeth. God came to Mary. God comes to Joseph. Over and over in the birth narratives, God comes to people, and God continues to come to us. When you look, as I mentioned earlier, when you look at this narrative, over and over you see divine elements of where God is interjecting himself into the story, if you will. There's a divine messenger. There's a divine message, the divine origin of the child. 
There's a divine act. This is from the Holy Spirit of God. Divine fulfillment of prophecy, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. There's a divine prediction of a son, not a daughter. There's a divine name of the son, Emmanuel, God with us. There's a divine purpose. Verse 21 says, and he will save their people from their sins. Mary and Joseph are going along in life and get ready to, to get married. And all of a sudden, God interjects himself into the story and says, you were going this way, I'm going to direct you over here. And the person and the presence of Jesus radically changes their life. And that's what we celebrate today. If you're a believer in Jesus, the person of Jesus will change the trajectory of your life. It will change your religion. It will change what you understand about relationships. It will change what you understand about how to raise children. Your relationship with Jesus will radically change your life as it radically changed Mary and Joseph. By the way, did you, did you notice how Matthew interprets the name Jesus? That's, he interprets the name Jesus in our text as this, God with us. It's like he's telling everybody who's reading this, let, let, me, let me give you an explanation for who this Emmanuel guy is. He's the Messiah, but he's also God with us. And that's the way that he will continue to reveal himself. So God comes to us in the Christmas story. Second thing is this, verse 21, God comes to save us. This book, it's all about betrayal. From, from beginning to end, it's about betrayal. God creates a perfect environment and Satan rebels. God creates a, per, a perfect environment from Adam and Eve. And what do they do? They rebel. Over and over. The first family, Cain kills Abel. Over and over, what we read in this book is about rebellion, family rebellion, rebellion against God. And what does God continue to do? Whether it be a judge, whether it be a king, God continues to come to his people. And, and, and when King David messes up in a huge way, God in his grace comes to him to redeem him. Why is that? Because this book is about betrayal and God has come to do what? He's come to save us. Save us from what? He's come to save us from our sin, if you will. Over and over in the Bible, we see this idea of what it means to be betrayed. By the way, didn't Jesus live a life of betrayal? His own family at one time didn't believe in him. He chooses 12 guys to go with him. It gets really, really hard toward the end, and they all bail on him. Peter bails on him. They can't stay awake in the prison or in the, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Everybody's bailing on him. He's left alone. And then on the cross, we hear these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are those words there? Because it's a reminder of our sin and our rebellion and our betrayal of God. And Jesus takes that upon himself and he goes to the cross and offers himself as a sacrifice for sin for you and for, for me. Because ultimately we have betrayed the Lord and we've walked away in our hearts. And Jesus comes and says, listen, will you trust me for your life? I will go to the cross and offer myself as a sacrifice, as a payment for your sin. Will you trust me for your life? And that's the great privilege that we have. Sometimes you don't get the Red Rider BB gun. Sometimes Bedford Falls becomes Potterville. And sometimes Eddie shows up at the door unannounced. And there's no miracle on 34th Street. But God is a God of grace. And he's the one who shows up. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. Listen to what it says. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. 
That's a beautiful verse. The grace of God has appeared. How has it appeared? It's appeared in a person, in the unique person of Jesus who would live and die on the cross for our sin. And he's come and he says, will you trust me? Will you trust me for your life? When you, when you don't know the outcome, when you don't know what's going to happen, will you trust me with your very life? That's what he offers with us today. I mentioned this verse earlier. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is what? Rich in mercy. Our mistakes and messy lives cannot hinder the richness of God's mercy. Our sins may be great, but God's mercy is greater. That's why he goes after prodigals. He goes after them. So God appears to us supernaturally. He invites us to realize that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And the last thing, and then I'm done, is this. He invites us to trust him. He invites us to trust him. Mary, Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. I'm your servant. And what does Joseph do? Joseph woke up and did. And by the way, when you go into chapter 2, there's two other times Joseph responds he takes Jesus to, to Egypt because Herod's going to kill the babies. And then in a dream, God comes to him once again and says, go back to Nazareth. Over, it, it's interesting. It, it says this. So he got up. Joseph is in the habit of getting up and doing. So he got up. Clint, do you get up and do what God wants you to do? Or do you get confused by the dilemmas? that come into life and you feel like, well, you know what, I can, I can handle this one on my own. I, I love the righteous character of Joseph because all he simply does is get up and do what the Lord wanted him to do. Listen, I don't know the difficulties and challenges where you would find yourself today. Please remember that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And you cannot outrun his grace and you cannot outrun his mercy. God loves you and cares for you. Now, I will say this. God will discipline his children because he loves you so much. He will discipline his children, but he will not abandon us. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, I thank you for Andrew sharing his story. Father, 20 years, and you just continued to pursue him. And Father, I thank you that your word says, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear of no evil, for you are with us. The Bible talks about you pursuing us all the days of our life. We thank you for that. Father, we want to just continue to worship you and honor you and glorify you. Father, thank you for the grace that you continue to bestow in our lives. And God, I pray that each one of us today would, would acknowledge who you are, what you've done for us. And that no matter what we would go through today, tonight, this week, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And you continue to pour out your grace and your mercy to us. Father, I ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.